Welcome back to the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm Caroline Rose, the founder and CEO of K Rose Company and Cattle Menu. Thank you for joining us on this episode. I'm excited to bring you these conversations each week filled with relatable advice and techniques you can take back to your operation. It's my mission to make sure that we can ranch in the next generation. Make sure and subscribe where you're listening so you never miss a new episode. Welcome to another episode of the Cattle Menu Podcast. I'm your host, Caroline Rose, and today we have Dr. Adam with us. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me, Caroline. Why don't we start just with your background? Tell us a little bit about you and what you've been up to. Well, my background, uh, I've been working in ag since I was uh, 14 years old. This is my 30th year working in agriculture. And uh, over the course of that time, I've done a lot of things, uh, worked primarily in specialty crops, uh, done a lot of work in cut flower industry. And then for the last uh, about 17 years, I've been pretty dedicated to beekeeping and uh, not only uh, running a, a beekeeping business, but also running the largest beekeeping education program in the country, the Heroes to Hives program. How exciting. I actually just saw one of our customers on the K-Rose cattle side, K-Rose company side. They were talking about having bees and honeys on their ranch and how much that has impacted. So I'm really excited about this conversation. What kind of got you started in the bee industry? Well, uh, I got out of the military in 2004 uh, out of the uh, Army. I was active duty a Patriot Missile Fire Controller in the Army. And uh, when I left the military in 2004, um, like a lot of veterans, really struggled with the transition coming home. I'm a service-connected disabled veteran. and was discharged for a service-connected injury. And so just like a lot of my friends in the military, uh, we come back home and, and go from an active duty military lifestyle to trying to figure out what the next mission is. And uh, for me, I struggled for a, a few years after I got out of the military and ended up using my GI Bill to go back to school. And I did my bachelor's degree in plant science and agriculture at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. And it was there where I first got exposed to beekeeping as an elective class as part of my degree program. And uh, after that, I pretty much... Uh, Entirely dedicated my life to bees. Uh, ended up going to uh, being recruited to Michigan State University to finish my PhD in entomology, and have been working with bees ever since. I feel as if the bee industry is. I mean, it definitely complements right, like production agriculture, but we don't hear it talked about often. Why do you think that it's almost this? I don't know if it's a secretive industry or just less well known, but like, why hasn't it really? been as publicized as some of the other agriculture industries? Yeah, it's an interesting question. I mean, we constantly kind of in the beekeeping industry think of ourselves as kind of the on the outskirts of, of a lot of the commodity farmers and ranchers that we see in large scale agriculture. However, you know, if we if you talk to any large scale beekeepers, it's a very robust industry. We have over about two and a half million colonies that are operated in the United States. So a lot of bees that are being moved around the United States, about 80% of those are migratory. So although in a lot of the commodity groups and, and rancher groups, we don't hear a lot about, uh, about beekeeping, mainly because those particular industries don't really rely heavily on pollination. If you're talking to an almond farmer or a blueberry farmer or someone that's doing more specialty crops like your orchard crops and things like that, 
beekeeping is a very important part of those of those industries. And so I think it just depends on what side of the ag industry you're in. Growing up, I worked in specialty crops, primarily cherries and apples most of my career growing up. And beekeeping was always on the forefront of our mind because if we didn't have those bees on the property, we weren't going to get proper fruit set and pollination for those crops. So I think it may be just kind of depending on what industry you're in is how close you're con- connected to the uh, to the pollinator industry of beekeeping. Yeah, absolutely. So let's kind of start from the ground level. If you are interested in beekeeping, where do you even start? Yeah, that's a great question because beekeeping's, you know, I think one of the things that kind of keeps it out of the norm is that, you know, there really are very very few entomology programs at the at the higher education level, as opposed to like our animal science programs, which a lot of our ranchers go into and, and your crop science programs, that a lot of commodity crop farmers grow into. For those of us in the beekeeping industry, a lot of how beekeeping is learned and how you get into the industry is through bee clubs. So beekeeping has really, the industry has grown up around more of a focus on interacting with the public through clubs. And those tend to be local and state clubs that really facilitate a lot of the education and connection to the beekeeping industry. However, there are some very good beekeeping programs around the country that if an individual wanted to go and and study entomology and focus on honeybees, they could. Uh, But those are few and far between uh, at this point. But most of our individuals who learn how to become beekeepers learn it through the connection to these clubs. And then those who really want to get a solid education and, and beekeeping, just like any other ag you know, crop or uh, livestock that you're working with, there is a steep education curve. Uh, most of us are familiar with uh, with four-legged vertebrate animals like cattle, but most of us never have experience studying insects as we go through school. And so it tends to be a pretty steep learning curve. And that's where really a lot of the national organizations and master beekeeping organizations come in. Master beekeeping organizations tend to be housed at universities, and those are open to the public, but they're usually four to five-year intensive education programs. Heroes to Hives, for example, is a is a nine-month intensive beekeeping education program for service members and their dependents. And really, that program is kind of a, I'd say, a beginning beekeeping program. So we tell most of our students, you know, you go through our nine-month program, and then we have a pathway to continue their education through master beekeeping programs as well. So that's really how people become familiar with beekeeping, which is also very kind of out of the norm for most of the ag crops that and, and uh, ranching that, that we do in the United States. Okay, I feel like I need to back up a little. So if you're interested in bees or you have property, right, a lot of our listeners either want to be in agriculture, so they're dreaming of being first generation or they're on a family operation. And so they come with land. So if you have access to land, like, and you want to have bees or you want to provide that opportunity, is kind of beekeeping it? Or is there a way to lease out land to hives? Like, what does that look like? Do you have to really become a beekeeper if you want to utilize your property? Not necessarily. No, not at all. And I mean, a lot of, you know, smaller scale beekeepers or even some larger scale beekeepers are looking for, you know, particular places where there is good forage available for bees. It just really depends. And and normally if a rancher is, you know, interested in having bees come out to their property, um, usually that's a conversation that needs to start with the beekeeper. And that's usually something that you want to reach out to either a state 
organization or maybe a local organization that's that's has beekeepers that may be able to fit that bill. However, historically, when we place colonies on land, that's typically a fee for service. And so we have to think about pollination contracts. That's typically when bees are being moved onto an individual's property. It's specifically for pollinating a specific crop. And that's usually a fee for service. So like, for example, almonds, which is the largest pollination event in the world out in Central Valley of California during the early part of the season, that particular uh, pollination uh, contract, those usually, those almond farmers are usually paying about $200 a hive to have those hives placed on their property for pollination. Now, the pollination cost, it varies depending on the crop greatly, but generally that's the model that we look for. Smaller scale beekeepers sometimes are interested in finding land to put bees on because they don't have access to land, and that's something that we see a lot of. But generally, larger scale beekeepers are, are very well positioned with land and, and aren't, aren't generally usually looking for places to put bees unless they're being paid for that. Okay, great. So if someone wants to kind of get into the industry or realizes the importance, there are different avenues for them. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of different avenues in beekeeping for all sorts of different things when it comes to, you know, whether it's pollination contracts, whether it's wanting bees on your property, there's lots of different ways that that looks. And the industry has a lot of flexibility in that as well. You know, so individual beekeepers sometimes will do things a little differently than others. That's really interesting. Okay, this is really fascinating to me. One of the things that I think I don't understand, so I'm wondering if other people in the industry are wondering this as well. I obviously know bees are important, especially to pollination, but I'm in production agriculture. So, you know, I'm a grass farmer. And so talk a little bit about the bigger, larger scale agriculture, like what role bees play and why they are so vital to the industry as a whole. So, I mean, for pollination is really the big thing that they're vital for. And I think one of the things that we always have to keep in mind when we're dealing with honeybees is that honeybees are not native to North America. So we have a lot of native bees in North America, which are not honey producers. They are pollinators, but they're much more well-suited for things like grasslands, prairies, those types of habitats that they're co-evolved with. So that's something that we always have to keep in mind with honeybees is because they are not native, a lot of the plants that they forage on, these are nectar producing plants that typically don't align with a lot of livestock operations. Now, the one, the, a couple forage plants that really do and, and are attractive to beekeepers that are part of the livestock industry are things like trefoil, clovers, things like that. But a lot of the grasslands, typically those are habitats that are more well-suited for native bees that are not honey producers. So they're not gathering large amounts of nectar over the season in order to keep alive over the winter. Um, so it, it does vary a lot between kind of landscapes as well. Not all places in the United States are well suited for honeybees. In fact, there's many areas of the U.S. that you would never want to put honeybees on because there's just not enough forage out there available to them. So when we're, you know, when I'm as an individual beekeeper, when I'm talking to individuals about putting bees out onto land, it's just not a conversation about hey, I've got land. Hey, I want you to put bees on there. It, it, it involves a lot. And a lot of that has to do with me going out and evaluating the land to make sure the resources are actually there to support my bees. It is a, it's, there's a lot of dynamic nature around honeybees in placing them. Again, it's not just a one and done type of thing. Land is, is one part of the equation, but forage is much more important than land. I mean, you can put 
I mean, you can put 40 beehives on two acres, and as long as the forage around them in that three-mile radius that they forage on, as long as it's it's high quality, that's great. But a lot of times when you're dealing with larger-scale ranches, two, three, four thousand acres, or you know, several square miles of land that's being occupied by grazing cattle or something like that, many times those forage resources just are not adequate to support honeybee colonies. Um, so again, it's a, there's a lot of variations within the industry, and and depending on where we want to put our bees, it's not always going to be that every piece of land is appropriate for honeybees because they're just not native to this area of the world. We hope you're enjoying this holiday week. Tomorrow on Black Friday through Cyber Monday, we're bringing you a special deal. On both Cattleman U and K-Rose Company, you can get 50% off all store items. To take advantage of this deal, use code PODCAST at checkout. You can get everything from educational materials to website templates. We're thankful to have you in our community. Okay, great. I mean, we always hear, and there's a lot of documentaries about how important bees are, and, you know, there's a lot of rumor mill out there about how crop selection and the type of seed and all of that affects production. But to me, it feels as if this is something that everyone in production agriculture needs to get behind, whether we just support it as a piece of the industry or whether we're interested in having some hives on our property or even, you know, a little deeper and becoming a beekeeper. Correct. Great. Okay. Let's pivot a little bit and talk about veterans. We have had several people on this podcast who have a very similar mission and heart that you do, that veterans in production agriculture is a win for both. And so talk a little bit about, you know, how you got started and in that kind of path and what you notice when we bring these veterans in and kind of give them a door to enter into agriculture, which you've talked about is a really challenging industry Mm -hmm. to get into in a lot of senses. Yeah, it really is. So, I mean, for, for me, really, when I started to realize that maybe other veterans could have, you know, this connection to agriculture that I did, it really didn't occur to me until I actually experienced beekeeping for the first time. Having worked in agriculture already for over a decade at that point when I was exposed to beekeeping, I mean, I knew that the land was healing. You know, anytime I was struggling after I got out of the military, the quicker I could get it on the land and start working with the soil with my hands, the better I felt. And so I knew that was happening already. But when I found bees, um, it was a very different experience. Um, I am one of those veterans who was prescribed a health healthy diet of opiates after I got out of the military. Uh, I struggled with substance abuse with those opiates and alcohol. And part of that was because being a disabled vet, you know, dealing with chronic pain all the time, not being with my battle buddies who were over in Afghanistan and Iraq uh, during that time, you know, having survivor guilt, all of these things that we deal with in the military are multifaceted and affect our lives in many different ways. But when I was first in a bee yard, uh, the first time I was ever in a bee yard and working with bees, it was the first time since I had left the military that I felt like there was a mission that I could get behind. And at the time, you know, we're all hearing these stories about, uh, you know, pollinators and the plight of pollinators. And one of the things I think that speaks to veterans around agriculture in general is, and, and I say this all the time, is that ag is continued national service. We as farmers, as ranchers across the United States are providing a very important service to our nation. And that is 
ensuring the food security of our nation, which is one of the key factors that enables us to be the global powerhouse that we are. As veterans, we are we served to protect our national security. So the transition and kind of the the speaking to veterans about what it means to be a farmer is a pretty easy transition because veterans usually are not done serving when they get out of the military. Um, usually they still have that mindset of national service. And so farming provides that to them. The nice thing about beekeeping, and, and I mean, this I think goes along with all animal agriculture and even plant production, is that there are healing opportunities within agriculture. So, you know, we, we keep bees every, you know, all the time as beekeepers, but just like any other farmer, there are opportunities to build connections with the organism that you're working with. And, and for us, um, and in the Heroes to Hives program, one of the things that we really focus on is the integration of wellness practices into our regular everyday farming lives. And so, for example, within our course, a lot of things that we teach our students are not just about the ins and out of beekeeping, but it's also about how you can utilize your bees to access wellness and things like helping with PTSD. Um, I'm an individual who has a tra traumatic brain injury. And when I'm having issues and, and cognitive issues, sitting out in a bee yard and just sitting with my bees, listening to them, watching them, I can de-escalate those situations a lot of times on my own. And so when we think about veterans and agriculture, it is not a, a single facet. It's not just working in ag and having a career or owning your own business or anything like that. It is much more deep. And the connection that we try to build as veterans with the animals and the plants that we work with enables us to work through a lot of the issues that we deal with personally. Um, you know, I, I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. And that's by design. I don't do well in, in very busy areas. But at the same time, as a veteran, you know, I can still participate in that, that national food security, even at a distance when, when I'm dealing with issues myself. I'm still part of that, that mission and still part of that, that community that is serving our nation. So I, I think for all of us that have served in, in the armed forces, Farming offers an opportunity not just for that personal financial wellness, but it also offer, offers a lot of opportunity for, you know, just feeling better and being able to kind of take control over our own wellness. Um, one of the things I tell my students all the time is that wellness and, you know, working through mental health issues, it does not happen have to happen within four walls. And many of us who are in the military, you know, we go to the VA for, for care psychologists and psychiatrists that we work with who are helping us deal with a lot of the things that we're, we're dealing with as baggage out of the military. A lot of times those individuals are not veterans. A lot of times veterans don't do well in four walls. And you know what, what agriculture offers us is an opportunity to take control of those aspects of our lives without having to, to really delve into, I would say, kind of the, the construct of mental health that we've seen in the VA for decades at this point. So it offers opportunities to find wellness in other places. And that, that speaks to veterans because taking control over our own health is something that a lot of times we don't feel like we have control over. So yeah, agriculture offers a lot to veterans, not just that, that financial piece or that business piece. Veterans offer a lot to production agriculture. Absolutely. That's, and that's a really important thing. Yeah. One of the things that we always have to consider when it comes to our service members is that our service members, you know, when you're in the military, the government is spending millions of dollars on training you to be the best leader you possibly can. And oftentimes our leaders in the military, you know, they, their, their jobs are to ensure 
the success of our military, but also to bring our men and women home safely. Um, you know, their lives are in the hands of these leaders. And that is a really important thing to think about is that as a nation, we spend billions of dollars training these men and women to be the best leaders they possibly can be. Why wouldn't we still take take advantage of those skill sets when they leave the military? And agriculture is a prime example. We need leaders in agriculture. You know, we all know that the that the aging demographic of farmers in the United States is a real problem. Why wouldn't we take advantage of the skill sets that these veterans already have in them, uh, being leaders, being educators? and shift that into an agricultural context so they can continue to be those leaders in an industry that we really need leaders in right now. I certainly agree. And I think that, one, it seems as if they fit together really well. You know, as ag producers, it's also, it's really important to us that we, you know, say, well, we'll work six or seven days. Like, we're going to work till it gets the job done. And to me, veterans kind of have that same work ethic, which is pretty hard to find nowadays. Yeah, there's no clocking out in the military. <laughs> you work until the job is done, just like farming. That's that's absolutely right. Yeah, what a neat experience. So talk a little bit about, you know, you talked about your course. So kind of describe that a little bit more, how veterans get involved with your course. And then at the end of the course, what are some of the kind of exit plans that they can then enter the industry and what are they able to do? Yeah, absolutely. So our course is a is a free course to anybody who served in the U.S. Armed Forces, Gold Star families, and the dependents of those who have served in the military. So we have a very robust course that starts basically in the end of March every single year. We have an annual enrollment period from November 1st to February 28th, uh, which individuals apply for the program at that time at heroestohives.com. They fill out an application. They meet the criteria, which is essentially you served in the military. They are enrolled in the course. And uh, the course is the nine-month course, which is the online portion of the course, starts in March, ends in November, over 120 hours of lecture material. It is a very, very big course to take on. Individuals are sent modules once a month, and they go through those modules at their own pace. Individuals who then get through all the modules and want to complete a certificate of completion through our course, then take a final exam in October and November of every year. They pass that exam, uh, they get a certificate of completion from us, and that certificate of completion is observed by the USDA as one year of agriculture experience. And then it is also recognized by the University of Nebraska's Great Plains Master Beekeeping course. And those individuals who complete our course can transfer all of their credits from Heroes to Hives to the Great Plains master beekeeping course, which basically takes uh, fulfills the entire apprenticeship level of that course. So our students will then be able to move right into journeyman and then into their master level to complete their master beekeeping certificate. Now, in addition to the on-ground instruction, which we provide globally, um, we have over 2,600 students enrolled in the course this year alone. At the end of this year, we'll have over 10,000 alumni from the course in the last eight years. And those are active duty personnel serving overseas, um, individuals that are here in the United states, um, but all 50 states, all U.S. territories, uh, we have students in. Individuals who are part of the course and live in the areas where we provide on-ground training also can take advantage of on-ground training during the year, and we have partners in eight states where we provide on-ground training to students 
come out. It's a, usually a two to three hour workshop once or twice a month during the entire season where they can come and work with an expert. And that's one of the things that really sets us apart. There are other beekeeping programs out there for veterans, but one of the things that really sets us apart is our program is entirely uh, administered and taught by experts, entomologists, master beekeepers, individuals that have been in the industry for 20, 30 years. Um, we vet our trainers very heavily and we make sure that the veterans and the individuals that are working with us are getting the best education possible. The course is structured uh, just how I uh, like I would teach a college level beekeeping course. Um, so it is a, a very robust and in-depth course. And in addition to all the academic material that we have around bees, we also have several modules in the course that are focused on veteran resources, so connecting them to service organizations that can support them, grant programs that can support them, different nonprofit organizations that can support them in different ways. So we also try to provide a lot of wraparound services for our veterans. It's just not not just all beekeeping. Um, we also have a whole module that's on starting small businesses that's a, a collaboration with the Small Business Administration and their Vet Biz program. We also have a collaboration with several commercial beekeepers and some big nonprofits here in the United States that serve commercial beekeepers to help individuals kind of identify if they want to go in the commercial industry, that they have a pathway to do that as well. So we work very hard to ensure that as our students go through the course and as they leave the course, that they have the resources and materials they need to succeed. We also allow our students to take the course as many times as they want. Um, we have many students that are dealing with severe mental health issues or disabilities, and we always allow individuals to take the course as many times as they'd like to make sure that they can get as much out of it as they can. So we, we definitely are very focused on not only the students while they're in the course, but also making sure that there are organizations and uh, support systems out there that they're aware of that they can utilize after they leave the course. Are you wanting to start a cattle operation or learn new hands-on skills? Our team knows it can be hard to find resources when it comes to learning how to vein cattle or how to brand or even what you need in your vet kit. If you're wanting to learn those skills and more, you won't want to miss this year's Profit Finder. With access to over 25 videos and resources, you can learn hands-on skills from the comfort of your own operation. We created this toolbox for any cattle producer just starting out. We went back to the basics and explained everything from the ground up. You can get access today at cattlemanulive.com backslash profit finder. To get a sneak peek of one of the videos inside of the profit finder, you can go to cattlemanulive.com backslash peek. How many students have you had go through your courses so far? And the other question that I have, which I'll let you ask, answer that one, then I have one more for you. Yeah, so the number of students that have gone through the course, um, after this year, it's going to be, uh, well, so at the close of this year, which would be November, it's going to be close to 12,000 students that have completed the course at that point. How exciting. Yeah, it's a very big program. We are the largest ag training program for military service members in the country. Well, as someone in production agriculture, I think it's so important what you're doing and you know, connecting and allowing the veterans to have some options when they get out. One of the things that I think is hard, again, for me to grasp, and so I'm hoping someone else listening is thinking the same thing, but what are the revenue options for someone who is in this industry? You know, like in the beef sector, we have 
you can sell cows, you can sell calves, you can sell meat, you can rent your pasture. Like there's a ton of different revenue options. Just in the bee world, I don't think I know all of the options. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's very similar to other livestock operations. So it's not like a crop where you know you're he- you're hemorrhaging money at the beginning of the year, planting, you fertilizing all that, and then you you reap the benefit at the end of the season. It's much more like other livestock. So for beekeepers, there are many different revenue streams. So I'll use my myself as an example because our business accesses quite a lot of them. So for beekeepers, the first kind of opportunities in the season, depending on the scale that you're at. I'll, I'll talk about small scale beekeepers first. So say you're you're what we consider a sideliner in the industry, which is under 500 beehives. Still kind of a large operation, but more focused on kind of local pollination and maybe, you know, just being based in one area and not being migratory like other operations. Those types of operations, the places where you really make revenue are at the beginning of the season, we make splits off of our overwintered colony. So much like calf cow operations, you know, you have a you have a calf that's born, you sell off that calf. We do the same thing in the beekeeping industry, but when our bees overwinter, when they make it through the winter, those bees, what they do is they reproduce on a colony level, and that's a natural reproduction process. And we basically, as beekeepers, take advantage of that and create bees for sale. And they're usually sold in two different arrangements, packages or what we call nukes or a hive nucleus. And those are two different styles to sell bees. So you have bee sales at the beginning of the season, which then, you know, you're flush with cash now. So you're ready to move on to the to the production part of the season. Once we get into the production part of the season, you're looking at honey revenue. And usually we'll get in Michigan, usually two to three harvests of honey during a season. So you have honey available throughout the season. Usually once in Michigan, once we get past June, honey is available. During the mid part of the season, while we're producing honey, we also can produce queens for sale. So queens are something that people are buying so that they can either requeen their colony, getting new genetics in the colony, or maybe they lost a queen and they need a replacement queen, or maybe they're going to be doing splits themselves, taking their overwintered colonies and turning them into several more. So queen sales is another aspect of that. We also have pollen sales. So pollen is kind of a health food item and and a specialty item for a lot of beekeepers where we actually take pollen from the bees as they're entering the hives and we can sell that. Wax is another product that we get out of bees. So as we uncap honey, we have wax that's taken off of those frames and we can then sell that wax, melt it down, sell it, or produce value-added products. And that's another thing about beekeeping is the number of value-added products that we have in the industry are tremendous. Everything from mead all the way to you know food wraps that are impregnated with, with beeswax, all candles, all you know, healthcare, uh, you know, like personal healthcare items, all of those kind of things as well. And then as we kind of come out at a, the end of the season, really what we're left with over the course of the winter is honey sales and, and those value-added products. So there is a lot of revenue streams for beekeeping. And, and most beekeepers who are doing this at scale access a lot of those revenue streams, especially at the, at the sideliner scale. Now for commercial operators, it is very different. Commercial operators are really focused on pollination contracts. So a commercial operator that's running, say, 2,000 hives, they're going to go to, to California for almonds in February and March. That is a huge payday. Every semi-load that goes out to almonds is usually worth about $80,000 to that 
that beekeeper. So that's a huge payday to get out there and, and get those pollination contracts. Once those commercial beekeepers leave that pollination contract in California, they typically start a migratory route that goes south and then makes its way north over the course of the season. And most of them will end up somewhere in the upper Midwest by the end of the season, usually in the Dakotas or, or maybe Minnesota, Michigan, another another state that commercial beekeepers will be based out of. Those commercial beekeepers, those pollination contracts are a huge portion of their uh, of their year. But then they also have honey sales and all the value added products that a lot of the smaller scale beekeepers also access. And they do bee sales as well. So again, many different revenue streams available to to beekeepers. Most of those I did not know about or really, I mean, think about. I probably did if I really thought about it, but the bee pollen, I own a farm to table retail store. I'm a co-owner. It's called the rancher's daughter. And we sell that in the store mm-hmm. and it is one of our most popular products. I mean, we always seem to have a list of people waiting when we run <laughs> out, of, out of it. And so it was one of those kind of, let's try this and see if anyone will even buy it. And it sells really well. It does. Yeah. It's, it's a great product. And for those who are suffering from seasonal allergies, it is one of the best natural ways to fight seasonal allergies. Wow, how cool. So we have some rapid fire questions to kind of end the episode. So let me get those and we'll go over those and then we'll get all of your information in case anyone wants to check out your course. Fantastic. Okay, perfect. The first question is, what is your favorite cut of steak and how do you like to eat it? <laughs> My favorite cut of steak? Oh, a tri-tip, definitely. <laughs> and I like burn ends. Great. Um, those sound good. That seems like a summer food or a football food to me. And since it's football season, I probably should put that on the agenda. (laughs) Okay. Next is besides the bee industry, what is an agriculture industry topic that you think needs talked about more often? Oh, definitely the mental health of farmers. We live, we work in an industry where suicide is something that is not talked about enough. Uh, When I was in grad school at Michigan State University, Actually, the farmer that I was working with on my research uh, committed suicide during my PhD, and it was really a wake-up call. Oftentimes, I I only think of the, the suicide risk with veterans, but our industry is plagued with mental health issues. And I think opening up a conversation with each other and, and with our, our friends and you know people that work with us in the industry about mental health, I think those conversations are things that are not happening enough in our industry. It's a very common answer. And so I think we're all feeling that. So I'm glad that you are talking about it and acknowledging that fact. Uh, What is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Oh, the best piece of advice I was ever given. Well, so what immediately comes to mind is, so a friend of mine who's a commercial beekeeper that's been in the industry for almost 60 years, uh, one of the best pieces of advice he gave me when we were talking about scaling up, and it's, I think, is, is ubiquitous across agriculture, is when you are thinking of, you know, when you're you're running a business and you're, you're thinking about that next big scale up, this beekeeper told me, always think 10 years in advance when you're scaling up. Don't think about what you need right now. Think about what you're going to need in five or 10 years and build that to meet the goals that you have uh, in mind. It is one of the best pieces of advice I have ever been given. And we always, when we are scaling our operations, we are always projecting into the future at where we want to be to make sure that the infrastructure we're putting in place is going to support those goals. I think that's great advice no matter what industry you're in, um, Mm -hmm. but especially in production agriculture. 
Okay, this is the last question, and it's kind of a fun question. So what is your non-career dream job? Non-career dream job? I feel like I'm living my dream job. for Because for almost 15 years, all I was saying is, I want to do beekeeping full time. (laughs) And now that I do it full time, I feel like I'm kind of living the dream. But if it was something outside of agriculture that I was trying to really achieve, probably one of the greatest joys that I have is spending time in nature. And so maybe something like a wildlife photographer or something like that would be kind of another career path outside of uh, agriculture that I'd want to explore. Oh, I think that'd be really fun. One person, one of the guests said that they would like to be like a national park host yeah that's yeah, a lot of like fun. That. yeah <laughs> so just little fun things i mean we've had everything from someone who wants to be a waitress at a high-end steak restaurant to like a, a food tester so we just love to see what you know what's out there and kind of tugging on people's hearts but maybe isn't something that they would consider doing as a main career so i love that and i think some of my favorite people to follow on tiktok are well wildland photographers Mm -hmm. there is just and wildlife photographers there is just some of the coolest photos especially in montana right we have glacier and yellowstone i mean some really great images can be captured absolutely well thank you so much for today i think this was a great conversation it was something that i think needs more to be brought to light more in the industry so talk a little bit about where people can follow along with what you're doing and potentially look into your course or your offerings if they're interested Absolutely. So if anybody's interested in, in hearing more about Heroes to Hives, heroestohives.org or heroestohives.com will get you to our website. Um, we also host a Facebook page and an Instagram page where we post all sorts of things about the course. Individuals who are interested in taking the course, those individuals will want to register between November 1st and February 28th, uh, with courses starting in March. And if individuals want to get a hold of me directly, Dr. Adam and Greo, my, my email is adam at miffs.org uh, is the best way to get a hold of me. Perfect. We will put all of that in the show notes. And I really appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks again for listening to the Cattle Menu Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. We are thankful to have you in your community. Like always, remember the grass is greener where you water it.